I tell you, I'm super impressed. Three o'clock, day two, and you're here. That's pretty amazing. Can we pray? Heavenly Father, thank you just for the promise that when two or three people are gathered, you're here. So we know that to be true, but we also at this moment tangibly invite you to mess with our minds, open our hearts, help us to see things that we've never seen before. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, he, I'm surprised. I talked to him for like five minutes, and I felt a little intimidated, like he knows everything about me. I don't know much about him, except that he's a, he's a great guy. But my name is Eric. I do uh, pastor church in Chesapeake, Virginia. I'm going to tell you a little bit about my story, because that helps set the context of where we are and what we're doing. But I want to uh, set a little bit of a framework before. So we have an hour, so I'm hoping the last 10 or 15 minutes can be questions We have three goals. First goal is I'm going to, I'm hoping that together I can open your mind and your hearts to a new strategy, a new way of connecting your church directly to some of the most exciting, miraculous, supernatural things that are happening in the unreached world in a new model. Then we want to give you some opportunities. And then if you're interested at the very end, We'd like to make an investment into you and your church, and we'll talk about that in just a second. But uh, I'm Eric. You already heard that twice. This is Sam Skaggs. He's the missions pastor at our church, also helping in the church-to-church connection for what we're doing. You'll hear a lot about that later. And Michael Ray, who's over here, he's the outreach pastor for Mana Church. Anybody else here from Mana Church? Good. Very close friends. And uh, part of the way I got connected to ARC was through Michael Fletcher, who's on the lead team. And uh, through that, no, just Michael Fletcher, just Michael (laughs) Fletcher. And uh, he introduced me to Dino. How many of you ever met Dino? Very hard guy to get to connect with. So finally, I texted him and said, Dino, I will buy your lunch in any city in America. Just tell me what day and when. And after months and months and months, uh, weeks, actually. We connected. We had a great meal. He bought, which was nice. And I started telling him the story. And he said, you have got to come and tell the story to see what God's doing. So we had an opportunity to come here uh, in November to meet with a group of about 30 ARC pastors. And now we're here. So really excited to share with you. I want to rewind a little bit so that you kind of catch the the background, the framework of my story. So in 1990, I was a missions and outreach pastor of an Assemblies of God church. That's my background in Virginia Beach. I really didn't know what I was doing, but uh, I was fairly articulate, had all the techniques, went around talking to people, and I found myself preaching the week-long series at Christ for the Nations to all of their students. And I had, you know, talked and gotten everybody excited. And then the worship pastor came up. He was a guy named Eugene Greco. And he sings this song that he wrote from Acts chapter 2, verse 8, Ask of me and I'll give the nations for your inheritance. And so we're just going after it. Holy Spirit drops. It's an amazing time. We're just praying. He kind of gets off the keyboard and comes over to me and he says, so what about that? I said, what do you mean, what about that? He said, what are you going to do about it? I said, what do you mean, what am I going to do about it? He said, what's the verse about ask of me and I'll give you the nations. He said, so what nations are you asking God for? Well, I'd sung the song. I read the verse, but I never actually thought about it. I just started alphabetical. I just started naming as many countries. Fortunately, on the back wall, there was a list of like 200 countries. And I started saying, okay, Jesus, I don't have any idea what's going on. I'm just going to start saying, I want that nation to be an inheritance for me. And pretty soon in my heart over the next several weeks, the vision in my heart was way past my capacity. I don't know if that's ever happened to anybody else. Like, then I read, you know, Ephesians 3.20. God's able to do exceedingly abundantly above anything that you can ever ask or think. So the way I translate that is ask bigger because he can do better. So the larger you ask, the bigger it gets. And I just kept, I learned that there's something called an unreached people group. So without getting too technical, that's a group of people, ethnic groups, speak the same language, same culture. There's not enough Christians among them who can multiply in a way to reach all the people in that unit, right? Then there's another class, 
called unengaged, unreached people group. Those are groups of people where nobody's even going. They don't know Jesus as a cuss word. They don't know Jesus in a worship song. They never heard the name of Jesus. And if you've ever been to one of those parts of the world, in amazing interviews talking about, you know, do you know Jesus? Where does he live? Is that something on a menu? Is that a food item? I mean, talking to people, they have no idea. I just decided that I wanted to be a part of going and taking Jesus' name to places that he's never been. Mainly, I'm crazy in love with Jesus, and I think he needs to be worshipped everywhere. So I just started learning, growing, where can I go? I, I called up a friend of mine who's a Baptist, and I said, hey, I got to get into this. What, what do I do? He said, well, do you want hard or easy? Hard. This is, you know, back a few years. Do you want communist or non-communist? Communist. Do you want Muslim or non-Muslim? Muslim. Do you want urban or rural? I said, which is harder? He said, urban. I said, I'm in. What am I doing? He said, you're going to Northwest China among a group of people called the Uyghurs. And so we couldn't actually get in there, but my wife and I moved to Singapore in uh, 1990 and have spent the last few years since then working with those people in ways that I can't tell you since this is being recorded. But along the way, other people started coming and saying, hey, you started a church, and that church started a church, and that church started another church, and you've got this multiplication thing going. Can we come and learn from you? So we set up training, and we started training people again and again and again and again. And I would say that this is kind of, this is probably let's say the beginning, because I got to a really serious crisis point in my life. I couldn't figure out what my relationship should be to the leaders that God brought me. And in dropped 2 Timothy 2.2, things that you've heard from others, pass on to reliable people so they can pass it on, multiply. As soon as I got that, I started praying, God, give me 12 people the rest of my life. I can take everything I've ever learned and I can pass it to them. I didn't want to just think about a question that I could do, like, God, what can I do? I started asking, God, what needs to be done? Can you connect me to apostolic leaders, small a, people who function in the apostolic? Can you connect me to them among unreached people, like right next door, near neighbor people, so that if I can pour into them, they can launch church planning movements and we can start a leadership train. So the best way I know how to describe what I'm doing right now is Amway without the soap. So... We train people who train people who train people who train people. And we are a perpetual leadership development training culture. So I started, okay, where does this actually go? Can you click this thing a couple times? Boom. Okay, how about that way? That's great. Where, where does this actually lead? So my last name starts with W. So in school, that means I'm almost always last, right? So one of the ways to think about it being our turn is that, okay, you're just kind of waiting, right? Somebody's older, somebody's better, somebody's more proficient, somebody speaks more languages, somebody's got the anointing. That's when we look at our turn. There's another way. It's not going to get done unless you do it. So it's our turn. So that's my view. It's our turn. It's the local church's turn. We'll talk about that in just a second. But I started finding, where can I go where nobody else wants to go? So I found myself a few years ago teaching for a week, verse by verse by verse, Iranian house church leaders who's been quietly got out of the country, were in Turkey, tell them, you know, we went through 2 Timothy verse by verse for a week. At the end of it, I'm having lunch with Ibrahim. He's a friend of mine. He's telling me about his Jesus story. I'm telling my Jesus story. And he says, hey, be careful of that guy over there. I didn't really think anything of it. So sure. Started raining. That guy turned out to be an Al-Qaeda operative. He went and got my plate. He took it back to the kitchen. He poisoned it. I came back and ate it. About 90 minutes later, I was poisoned. Everything's turning upside down. I lost everything. I survived the night. The next day, I was going to the airport. I passed out in the taxi. I woke up, didn't know where I was. I got on the plane, nearly died. They called for me. I wasn't strong enough to get out of the bathroom. Chief medical officer for Alameda County, Oakland, California, came back to me. He says, hey, what do you do for a living? I said, I tell Muslims about Jesus. What do you do? He looks at the plane, and he says, uh, I don't think you should talk anymore. 
This isn't safe for you. I said, are you a Jesus follower? He said, no, I'm not. But you just keep quiet. You've ingested a poison. So to make the long story short, praise God. I lost a lot of weight. I put it all back on. I, <clears throat> I was in and out of doctor's offices and hospitals for two and a half years. Sorry, two and a half months. Year sounds much better, but it's not true. <laughs> and uh, eventually was miraculously healed with prayer. But here's where the story gets better. Fast forward, we decided to launch a church planning movement project. And at the same time, Iran, Afghanistan, and Pakistan. If you want to kill a snake, you cut the head off first. So we're going to go to the darkest places that are the most difficult and start something. So we did. A year later, comes in for reports, accountability. We're going around the room. Everybody's telling their Jesus story. This guy has a dream and a vision of Jesus. This guy has his foot blown up by a bomb, and he walks, you know, village to village in Iran and tells people about Jesus. This guy was rescued by one of our church planning teams, and he doesn't even know. And he said, we're going around the story, and I don't have a story like that. I was raised by parents who love Jesus. They're radically on fire for Jesus. I know all the stories by flannographs. I got nothing. So I just was prompted by the Holy Spirit. You should tell the story when you got poisoned. So I did. Didn't get through the whole story. Guy in the corner who was a trained sniper from Hey, thanks. I'm not sure it'll work, but he's a trained sniper from Kandahar. He said he was one of our church planners. And he said, What year, what month, where? He said, I'm the man who commissioned your poisoning. Because of the work you were doing among Muslims, I'm the one who tried to kill you. Well, an amazing thing happened. Everybody in the room had suffered for Jesus, they've been persecuted shot some of them, put in prison, suffered, poisoned. But I had been poisoned at their hands. And I was brought into an incredible move of God where for the last 20 years, in the deepest, darkest, most radical places in the world, Al-Qaeda, Al-Shabaab, Taliban, there's been a movement of Jesus followers who went off the front lines but started making disciples so that one day they could partner with local churches around the world. And if they would be willing to partner together, they could fulfill the Great Commission. These guys helped me think through three shifts. I'm almost done. So here's the first shift. From something, missions being agency-driven to being local church-led. It's all about the local churches, the hope for the world. God wants to connect our churches together. The second shift is we're no longer Paul. We're more like Barnabas. Honestly, when I was younger, that was really disappointing to me. I'm type A, very ambitious, ego-driven guy. But to realize that maybe I'm supposed to be a Barnabas and God's actually raised up Pauls that want to take it to the ends of the earth. The second one is that there aren't nationals. That's very pejorative. There's just Jesus followers. There's just people who, there's Jesus followers from Saudi, from Pakistan, we have from Syria, from all over. And what happened is God's raising up a spiritual army who are ready if we're willing to help complete the task. So I want to introduce you to a guy. Can we do that? Mm -hmm. So this is a guy, he was a, a lieutenant to Osama bin Laden. He was known as a white person killer. Uh, he had a radical conversion, dream, vision of Jesus. Probably should let him tell you the story. He goes by the name of Harold. So I've interviewed 150 former terrorist bad guys, Al-Qaeda, Al-Shabaab, Taliban, a bunch of other initials. And they all have three things in common. The first is... They all had a supernatural encounter with God, a dream, a vision. None of them came to faith with that supernatural encounter. Every single one of them came to faith because a person told them that Jesus Christ died on the cross for them and that his blood was the sacrifice that they needed to be forgiven and have their shame lifted. They all also were taught that since they were willing to die for the devil, which is how they would describe it, they should be willing to live for Jesus. 
So we started going around. We got these people, and I brought in the guy who starts the Jesus film, Paul Eschman, and I brought a bunch of other people, and we're in this meeting, and they're all listing where all these unreached and unengaged, unreached people are. And he's asking some of these leaders, so where do you want to go? How do we do this partnership? And finally, they pulled me aside, and they said, look, we're Jesus warriors. We're trained. Don't ask us where to go. Send us. Send us where nobody wants to go. Send us where it's worse. Send us where in the darkest places. So we have safe houses in Mecca. We have Jesus followers who march around the Kaaba stone singing worship choruses. We have people rescuing kids in Aleppo. We have, none of these are Americans. These are all former radical bad guys who are now given their lives to live for Jesus. And the world changed. It's not about an American going over and doing something. It's about finding, here's the global body of Christ. How do we connect church to church? So about six years ago, I started saying to the leaders, okay, let's go find as many of these radicalized people and let's build something. Let's build the strongest spiritual army that we can find. Let's figure out, let's, I brought in Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary, the research, Center for Studying Global Christianity. Let's build the research capacity. So we've trained 1,600 field surveyors, 120 data analysts. We start going to Muslim movements to Jesus all over the 1040 window and saying, hey, do you want shelter? Here's what Orthodox Christianity looks. Here's what the power of the gospel is. Here's the cross. Here's the blood. You don't have to fake it and pretend like Islam is friendly. We all know that it's evil. We all know that it's demonic. We all know that it's not about this bridge to eventually tell somebody the gospel. It's all the gospel or nothing. And these guys started coming out of the woodwork. And they said, if you have the stomach to lead us and you're not afraid for people to die, then let's go. I didn't really understand that. But every year we probably have 50 to 70 martyrs who go into places because they just continue to go. I'll tell you one quick story. Very famous guy. I can't tell you his name because it's being recorded, but there's a house church in Afghanistan decided that that guy needs to know Jesus. And so they decided every day they would pray and they'd send one guy. He would somehow get in. He would preach the gospel, quote a chapter of Luke, and see if the guy would come to faith. First guy got in, pleasant conversation, received him tea, gospel, Luke, left before he was a kilometer away. They killed him. Next guy goes in. Next chapter of Luke, next gospel, cordial, tea. He left before a kilometer away. He was killed. Third guy, fourth guy, fifth guy, 10th guy, 15th guy, all from one house churches, all martyred, all knowing that this guy needs to know Jesus Christ. Because if he knows as a tribal leader, it would shake at the Islamic world. After the 19th guy was martyred, the house church gets together and looks at each other and said, okay, this is our privilege. Who's next? The 20th guy goes in, meets with the same guy, cordial, tea, except the conversation starts different. He says, who are you? You are not afraid of me. And this guy said, why should I be afraid of you? I have a guarantee to heaven through Jesus Christ's death on the cross. You don't have a guarantee to heaven. And that man, before he died, one of the two or three most famous Islamic terrorists in the world committed his life to Jesus Christ. So there is this incredible move. So we've been assembling them. And now I give leadership to this network of 834 church planning movements that speak 400 languages. There's 1.3 million house churches, the leaders of which are all praying for you today because they believe this is God's hour for the church. Church to church missions. Okay, Sam. Thank you, Eric. So that's what we've been working on. And our theme, one of our theme verses is, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, all people groups, and then the end will come. So that's what you have in your hand. You have a nation, a description of a nation in your hand. So all of your, as Eric mentioned earlier, they're all different. Um, and I'll tell you why in a moment. 
but this is, a, this is a nation. They're a totally unengaged, unreached people group. One of the things we've discovered in working with these guys that's really helped us to accelerate not only church planting, but church planting movements is the churches that are closest to the UUPG, the unengaged, unreached people group, set the pace and the strategy. So last year, we were working with 43 unengaged, unreached people group. This year, they wanted to bump it up. They felt like that challenge wasn't big enough, so they went to 200. So we have 243, and we're about 37 in. And these guys, they don't, they don't let up. I mean, they just continue on. And so we're trying to keep up, keep the pace with them. So we use a very simple strategy called the five Ps. It's easy to remember. Pick your group, pray for your group, participate by engaging your congregation in research and prayer, and then partner with other churches to, to be able to impact this uh, uh, church planting project and then plant a church planting movement. So it's really important that you differentiate. In our mind, we think of planting churches, which is a really great thing. But these guys want to plant churches that plant churches that plant churches. That's why I was really hoping Eric would take the time to set the framework because sometimes we jump in and we don't understand the journey and the history. We've been working together since 1990. And so through him, I pioneered in Albania way back in the day. And we've seen churches just flourish as a result. Albania was, in 1990, was the what North Korea is to us today. And so he ruined me for normal. After I started working with him back in 1990, I wasn't, I wasn't the same. People said I didn't pastor the same anymore. All I ever talked about was missions, 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 church planning. And so um, finally, I decided to be like gum on his shoe, and we just hang out together all the time. So these five Ps are really the, the simple strategy that we're using in partnering churches outside of the Middle East with the underground house churches in the Middle East reaching unreached peoples. So our, our plan is simple. Launch a church planning movement and provide the gospel of Luke. These guys have a very simple strategy. It's kind of like Novocaine. Just give it a little bit of time and it works. So they go in with the Jesus film. You remember the Jesus film? It's like a 25-year-old film. They love it. They love it. They use it. And they have equipment that we empower them to take and they, they put them on backpacks and they go into places and they use it. They show the Jesus film over and over and over again. People come to Jesus, then they begin to memorize the book of Luke. After they memorize the book of Luke, then they memorize the book of Acts. After that, if they go into leadership from there, they begin to memorize the, uh, uh, the epistles. And so the, the strategy is simple. We wanna start with the gospel of Luke. I know in America, we always start with the gospel of John. They start with the gospel of Luke because of the film impact, because all you're seeing and visually when they see it is scripture, really identifies with their worldview, and then they go right into the scripture of the gospel. So that's our strategy, is to launch the movement provided in their language, because these unreached people groups all have distinct languages. And so we wanna make sure they have it in their heart language. So Michael's gonna come talk a little bit about the why. All right, so as I said earlier, my name is Michael Ray. I'm a local church missions pastor. My main job is getting Manna Church, the church that I'm a part of, engaged in missions with the nations around the world. Um, but another part of my job is getting to mentor and serve local churches and helping them to figure out how do we get our church engaged, engaged in missions? What are some resources you have? Those sorts of things. So we're gonna talk a little bit more about how you can engage with this, but we felt like we wanted you to have something you could leave with today, some tangible thing that you could do right now. So how many of you are a senior pastor or lead pastor? Awesome. So part of what um, I'm going to tell you is, is some things that you can do, but I can also help help you put together really good arguments that you can take back to your senior pastor to say, this is what we need to do. So, you know, sometimes you go and you're excited and they say, yeah, maybe one day, cool. Sometimes, you know what I'm talking about. We all go back. So I can help you put together some strategies and those sorts of things. So I'd love to talk with every single one of you. So, um, We've been partnered with Run for 20 years, 22 years, 25 years, 30 years, a really long time. Um, yeah, yeah, long time. But I just want to give you seven simple ideas in how you can engage your local church in global outreach. So um, part of that is, is the, the, in, in the serving I do of churches, the most frustrating answer, the most frustrating question I get and the most frustrating answer I give is how do you get so many people engaged in the local church and missions and outreach and global outreach? You know, Acts 1-8, uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the earth. Because when we, when we put together a project or a plan or a serve day, man, the church goes, yeah, of course, that's what we're going to do. Because 
that's what it is. We don't have to explain or, um, you know, really go through the process or why because it's part of everything. So seven really simple ideas in just a couple of minutes. Um, first, global outreach has to be a core value. It, we have to shift from outreach, global missions, missions being an event that we do at one time, a box that we check to being part of who we are. So instead of it just being an idea, a, a uh, event that passed on the calendar that we completed, we did a good job, now let's move on to something else. It has to be part of everything. It has to be part of the language, part of small groups, part of the growth track, everything. So instead of, hey, we're doing a serve day, we're doing a short-term trip, we really need you to come get involved. We say, hey, we have this coming up and everyone goes, of course we have that coming up because that's who we are. So you have to make it a core value. It has to be part of the DNA. Second, you got to communicate it. So if values drive our behavior and language creates culture, we have to talk about it all the time. Outreach and missions has to be part of sermon series and growth track and small groups and every single thing that we do. So why do you need to have a good marriage? Yes, because God wants you to have fun and be healthy, but we want you to have a good marriage so that you can reach the world. So you can reach the world where you are, so you can reach the world all around um, the planet. And we have little um, sayings that we use all the time to communicate that Outreach isn't just an event. Outreach isn't just a one-time thing. Missions isn't just a one-time thing. It's part of who we are. So um, it's got to be a core value. We got to communicate. So we say, man, a church exists to change the planet. Man, a church exists to make it hard to go to hell from wherever. When we receive an offering every single time, we pray, God, would you use these funds to change the world here, all around the world? So it has to be a core value, and we have to communicate that that's a core value. Thirdly, we need to celebrate it what we celebrate, people will value. So we need to make sure that when people get saved, when we have a big win internationally, when one of our key partners has a success, we need to celebrate that publicly because people will then consider that a key value. Um, fourthly, we need to develop a calendar that reflects a passion for global missions, for global outreach. Um, a lot of times churches just sort of let opportunities come their way and then they evaluate whether or not they're going to do that. But we think we, you should turn that around a little bit and make, make it a priority on the calendar so that it's already there. So the people see it's a priority. It's not, you, you're, then you're going to have to say no to some other things that come away, come your way because you've already decided that we're going to be a church that doesn't just do outreach. We don't just check it off, off on the box, but it's part of who we are. So that's a really cool idea, but we're an outreach church. So we're going to do this instead. So it's got to be a key part of the calendar. Fifth, um, the Great Commission is a church-to-church -church task. So Sam and Eric have talked about that a little bit already. They're going to talk about that some more. But basically, it's this idea that one church is not called to reach the planet all by itself. Mana Church is good at some things. Greenbrier Church is good at some things. Mana Church has some resources. Run Ministries has some things that are going on. So together, hey, we really need a, a person who can come and do this sort of training. Fantastic. I have a guy or I know a guy. or So it's this church-to-church -church network where we don't have to make it happen all by ourselves. It's, it's a process where we build relationships and together, local church to local church, both in the U.S. and overseas. And these guys that were radical and now they're radical for Jesus all together, Reach, reach the planet. Six, we need to develop a outreach continuum. So it's this idea that there's a spot where every single Jesus follower in your local church can plug in from the most, uh, from the newest believer who just now got in to the most seasoned and mature Christian. There needs to be a spot for them to plug in. Low risk, high risk, people that opportunities just to pray, opportunities to go, opportunities to give, a place where every single person can plug in all the time so that you're not struggling to, hey, we have a thing coming up. Yes, it's a core value, but I don't really know where to put you. You need to already have thought through that continuum. And finally, uh, we need to count. So what we count will increase. So I heard um, One Hope, uh, Rob Haskins say this recently, we need to shift from counting outputs to counting outcomes. So yes, let's count how many times we present the gospel. Yes, let's count how many short-term trips we go on. But let's focus more on the outcomes. What's God doing? What can we celebrate? Um, how do we make that a big deal at church? So, so seven things, core value, communicate, celebrate, calendar, church to church, continuum and count. So I don't have a lot of time. So I went really, really fast and we have a whole lot of resources. We have a thing that we call our reach out celebration. It's this 
sermon series that culminates in a week-long celebration with just our church where we present, here's all the things that we've done for the past year in outreach and missions, and here's what we're going to do coming up. So um, short-term missions, our growth track, and then arrows. So basically everyone automatically thinks that life is about them. My marriage is about me. My kids are about me. God wants me to have a great thing. So we have all sorts of materials and ideas of how can we help the everyday believer in the everyday church believe that their marriage exists. Yes. So God can love you, but, and, and so I can have fun, but that exists so that I can reach other people. Um, so we have all those sorts of resources. I'm here to tell you that and to say, when we're finished, I'd love to serve your church in any way that I can to help, help engage the local church members with missions, help you do all sorts of things. So I'd love to talk to you afterwards and figure out how we can partner together. How can I help you get connected to run the same way that Mana Church is? Um, all those sorts of things. So that's all I got to say about that. Yeah, one of the things I told um, um, Michael that I wanted to see us and Eric and I have talked about this, we want to be more about giving to churches rather than just asking. We want to give. We want to pour out. So I was teasing Michael the other day. I said, hey, Michael, can you take that rock and put it in a box? Rock in a box. And let's give it to new church plants. He didn't like the name, but anyway. Yeah, I'd like to say a couple things. Can I, can I tell one quick story? Sure. Okay, so I love stories. So a church in Virginia sends a missionary to an unengaged, unreached people group. It doesn't go so well. Missionary comes off the field for 17 years. They pray that God will do something in that place in Africa. Can't tell you where it is. So they finally came to us. We said, uh, well, we know a house church movement in the country next door. So we went to the house church movement. There were 6,000 people who were in various house churches who had all been radicalized uh, Muslims who are all radical for Jesus. And we went to them and said, would you be willing to send an extended family, eight to 10 people, little baby, all the way up to uncle, auntie, sign with your blood, not for a year or two year, but you go for life and you're going to see a movement starts. They said they, they had more volunteers than they had opportunities. So they took experienced church planners in our five-year leadership track, and they sent this family over. Meanwhile, the house churches take up offerings because everybody's in it together, and they decide what business should start. It gives them a platform of influence, the Jesus film, prayer walks, food. Uh, the family that moves there starts throwing parties because they're building influence in the community. They're blessing people. They're figuring out how to be a blessing to these people, and they come up with a major problem sociologically in the country. And that is that when a young man wants to marry a woman, he has to pay so much money to the woman's young girl's father that he basically doesn't have enough money to survive. And it just keeps poverty in the whole place. And so the house churches in the next door country heard about that, took an offering, and they went over with their security teams and went to the elders and said, we're stopping that practice in your, in your country today. And they said, what do you mean? They said, we're done. You're not doing that anymore. You're not keeping yourself in poverty. Here's the money that you need. We're releasing this, and we're going to release your family and your daughters and these sons, and this is the destiny of their lives. And people flocked to him and said, we've never heard about this new way. It's about the future. It's not about the past. And as soon as they communicated that, well, who are you? Where are you from? Well, we're from next door. Why, are you, why did you do this for us? Why did you set us free from this? Because Jesus set us free. And in less than a year, they started 180 house churches just in that spot alone. Just finding what the felt need is, doing something. Okay, one more, uh, quick, can I, one more quick story. So, you know, the Bible says that if two or three, yeah, I'm going to tell it anyway. So, if <laughs> it sounds nicer if you ask. If two or three of you agree on anything in this earth, it's done where? In heaven. I mean, I grew up with that verse. Uh, maybe you guys didn't grow up with it, but I've claimed that verse. Did you know that on the 27th day of Ramadan, which is the month of month of fasting, a billion Muslims pray. And they believe their prayers are a thousand times more powerful on that day. And they pray one simple prayer. God, give me a revelation of who you are 
and forgive my sin. But just, just bear with me. Did you know the first time that you prayed to Jesus, you were an unbeliever? Right? Did you know that God hears the prayers of unbelievers? So why don't we come into agreement with the billion Muslims and ask them to have a revelation of the one true living God who's full of love and kindness and mercy, who's not full of demonic strategy that creates evil and oppression, but actually releases people into their purpose and destiny. And then why don't we ask them to have dreams and visions of Jesus who can be their forgiveness? So we start sending thousands and thousands of former Muslims into the homes of imams, mullahs, in mosques to pray and fast in the last 10 days of Ramadan to everybody start talking about their favorite scripture, their favorite verse, their favorite dream, their favorite vision. And then we arm them with little tools and they're like on their phones that have Bluetooth. And so while they're eating after the fast at night, they turn their phones on and starts pinging everybody with gospel recordings, audio messages. So in one of those stories, right in the middle of Saudi Arabia, there was a sheikh and very wealthy guy, very influential in Mecca. And they're at this party and we can't go to Mecca because our name, last name isn't right. But that doesn't mean Jesus followers who have the right kind of name can't go, right? So he just turns his phone on and all of a sudden everybody starts pinging their phone. And all of a sudden they get the Jesus film or they get another audio and they're kind of embarrassed. But the next night at the party, everybody's talking about who is this Jesus? And a breakthrough of the gospel happens at a party in Mecca because these guys are willing to go. So while we were praying for that, I said, hey, let's celebrate it, right? And so um, I just ask everybody, if you prayed the day before the night of power, which is what it's called, or the day after, I don't want your prayer. But if you prayed a prayer and it got answered, I want you to send me the prayer. So I got 500 prayers in 22 languages and put it in a nice coffee table book that it doesn't have my name on. Can you hold this? It doesn't have my name on it because it's not safe to have my name in print. But there are these very cool uh, little pictures and sayings. So anyway, I brought 15 of them. They're for free if somebody wants them. Uh, and then this book is about the nine basic things that are happening that we've been talking about, dreams, vision, night of power, name that makes the devil tremble. It's full of stories, like what we're talking about. So anyway, that doesn't have my name on it either. It has another name. But anyway, I brought 15 of those so you can have free stuff. But I would like to invest in you guys. So we have a website, and the website is about... Uh, runresources.org, all the stuff on it's for free. It's for your church, everything from how to do a reach out celebration, how to send a team, how to get involved, how to do this church to church partnership, wherever you are, that's what you need to start from that step to move forward. And so anyway, we've got that, that for you. Then in front, do you want to explain what's in front of this little, each one of these is an unengaged, unreached people group. And so if you are a decision maker in your church, here's what I'd like you to think about. If you're willing to start praying that a move of God would happen among that unengaged, unreached people group, it's really simple. All you need to do is take a picture of that and text a number on the screen. And if you're willing to do that, I want to give you $1,000 just to bless your church, to bless your missions outreach. If you're a church planner that hasn't even planted your church, put that toward the church plant. I want to sow a seed in the destiny of your ministry because you're going to sow a prayer seed into the destiny of these people. You'll eventually start hearing about the results from us about what God is doing. We just, any way possible that we can bless you, we want to do it. That's it. We went through our entire um, program for you, but we wanted to give some time for questions and answers. Whatever people you hold in your hand, you say, I'm going to start praying, and we'll see what God leads. You're going to, you text that number, and say, I'm in, and they're in. If you're a decision maker in your church, text your decision maker. So, 
you take a picture of this group with your number to that number. Sam will follow up with you. We will send you $1,000. Because we believe a move of God is about to shake the earth. And we want you to be a part of it. And we just get you in the door praying and give to you first. That's the kingdom way. So does that answer your question? I just want to make sure everybody got what you said. Yeah. So if you are not the decision maker, text the decision maker right now. I mean, if they if they want to do it, they're in, they're in. Once you leave this door, once we go out, the deal's off. So, you know, if we had 10 people here, that's great. If everybody in this room, that just means everybody in this room gets a thousand bucks. I just know God's going to shake the, the earth, and I want all of us to be a part of it. Okay, next question. It's kind of like a fire hose. Yes, sir. Yeah, so I'm going to turn that to Michael, and it's very different depending on the size of your church. So our, reset, our Reach Out celebration, uh, it's evolved over the years, but basically it's a four-week sermon series. So the first three weeks of that sermon series are some vision, some things that we did, some things that God's calling us to for the next year. And then we cu- the, the, the accumulation of that sermon series is a five-day long event that we call the Reach Out Celebration. It's like an internal missions conference. So it's, 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 the banners and the booklet and all the cool stuff that you get at the conference, but we're only inviting our local church to be a part of it. And we bring in missionaries from all over the world, some of the uncles from China and the different leaders from all over the world. And we give them a chance to say, here's what's happening, man of church. Here's what we did um, with all of the the prayer and the funds and the short-term trips that, that we sent over the years, locally, regionally, um, international, over not over the years, over the past year. And here's what we're going to do coming up. And so, um, it's, uh, we have different sorts of events. We have a kickoff night. We have an event called the night we can't record, which is when we have folks like Eric come and tell, we turn off all the recording devices. We have security people that literally are watching to make sure no one's taking photos, no one's recording. So they can tell those stories that they can't tell on the recording. Um, we have an event called the World's Fair, where it's sort of, if you've ever been to like a county fair, you go into the expo center and there's booths set up and there's fun and games and cotton candy. So we'll tear our um, worship center apart, make the hospitality team really mad because we get cotton candy sugar all over the place and basically give everyone the chance to talk to the ministry partners, find out what's going on, get engaged. And then on Sunday morning, we'll do a um, a faith commitment offering. So we'll say, here's the budget of all the things that we wanted, not all, but a good portion of the things we want to do. And we're asking you to prayerfully consider what do you want to give to outreach and missions for the next year? Um, it's the only capital campaign we ever do is for missions. hundred percent of it goes to missions. Um, and then Sunday night is a finale service where we say, here's how much you raise. Man, the church is awesome and always blows the goal out of the water. I think um, our goal last, this this past November, our goal was about $500,000 and man, a pledge about $700,000. And um, so that's the sort of thing. It's a, it's the, our missions event. It's, it includes, it's all global outreach. So what are we going to do locally? What are we going to do regionally? What are we going to do internationally? Get people involved. Basically, getting every man a member to own a piece of our outreach DNA. So if you want help in that, if you've never done it or you'd like to tweak it, that's what we're asking. I will say the power of that is instead of asking people just periodically and randomly through the year, you build a culture and a momentum and an expectation that this event is what you're going to change in the next year. You're going to see something happen in the world. It's a powerful, powerful event. One more thing. We've planted a whole bunch of, of other main churches and some of them do, they don't do the big event at the end. They'll do four weeks of reach out celebration. So they'll take our big week worth of stuff. Cause some of them are, are set up tear down and they can't do a week long thing. So they'll take the ideas that are in all those events and they'll do them four weeks in a row. So instead of a sermon, you might hear an interview of a ministry partner. And so it's, you can break it down that way too. Okay. Next question. Yes. 
very excited about what you're doing uh, in Pakistan, Afghanistan, and the uh, Middle East. So my question is, are you working in Pakistan as well? And if you're working, are you working with a local church? Or you go, like you said, you know, you send some neighbors and then they, you know, how they do. Is that strategy or you use the local church? So this is a great question. So do I'm going to repeat it basically. So do you, if you're working in a country like Pakistan, are you working with the local church in Pakistan or are you sending people from nearby, near culture to work in Pakistan? So break down the question. Yes, working in Pakistan. Yes, working with the local church. No, not working with any Christian background people. Because if you're from Pakistan or you've ministered in Pakistan, you, that, that's just so filled with all kinds of difficulties and police and laws. So it's better to have somebody who is from a Muslim background be able to share Jesus with another person from a Muslim background. There's a lot of that happening in the Christian community right now as well, but we've chosen to do that alongside in parallel rather than, and mainly for security. Yes. No of a, yeah, so your question is, in a place like Sumatra, where the government would prefer not to have open Christian ministry, well, what, you know, are there fluctuations? Well, I'm, I'm looking at the full, the total. Right. Uh, not just Sumatra. I just was familiar with Sumatra. Right. So my, my immediate response, and I'll, I'll hand it to you too, my immediate response is no government forbids a one-way ticket. So we're going to be very wise to send in the person from the right ethnic background with the right citizenship, with the right spirit-filled background that can produce a life-giving contextual church that's going to start a church painting movement. So our part is to connect with them. Our part is not necessarily to be that person. Sam. I think that's a great question, and that's one of the reasons that the strategy, you know, everybody's got different strategies, and ours isn't any better than anybody else's, but the lane that we're in is that these guys are underground, and they're used, they've been doing that their whole lives, they've been moving underground, so they decided to stay underground for that reason, because they can they can move, and whenever a new edict comes down or whatever, because some of the countries they're working, there is a perpetual edict. I mean, they lose their lives for doing it, so government changes its mind, because we know a lot of great churches in Indonesia, Jakarta, above-ground churches doing great work. Those are the churches that they clamp down on, but the guys that they can't clamp down on are the ones that are invisible. They're underground, and that's the reason they stay that way, and that's what gives us that ability to accelerate. We did try to go into Sumatra and send a team to just sort of survey what kind of business we can come in. Mm -hmm. And one of the problems that they seem to have is the pigs, the wild boar, whatever, eat their gardens. But they can't kill pigs for religious reasons. Sure. So we were looking at ways that we could kill and trap them. That's good. Bring them out. But then things closed. Sure. That's so good. That's why I was wondering how much of a. So nearby, near culture people have amazing ways to get in. So one of our team leaders is a former kidnapper. He used to be involved in human slavery. He's really good at his work. So he came to us and said, hey, can I rescue people from slavery? I know everything. You got a job. Okay. So, all right. Somebody who hasn't asked a question. Some of you are still processing that last little statement I had. Yes, ma'am. Good. partner with an organization that rescues women from sex life. Fantastic. How, as an American, what's your advice to go in? Because our church is underground. It's house church. Um, what's your, what would your advice be from an American going into So you're asking me a question as an American about to go somewhere yeah. to be involved in rescuing people from slavery. Uh, yeah, when this mic is off and we're done, I'd like to answer your question. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. On the mic, be careful. <laughs> yeah. Be oh, no, they know. It's, a, it's an above-ground organization. Yeah, but I give you some... Okay. Anybody else? Any more yes. There's other people who are uh, young, passionate, 
energetic about this? Do you have like an intention program or something that you can send to? Was it uh, we have ways to connect and help do ways that you could do things. We don't have a formal internship because most of the places that we're going, yeah, we're better to partner with, train, mobilize, find expertise, and then provide that expertise to people who are nearby, near culture. And so we have a lot of that kind of training going on. Uh, and so those are possibilities for that. But we wouldn't drop somebody in one of those countries. But we partner with churches that do, and MANA is one of them. They yeah. have, they have training and internships as well. Yep. What's the best way as an outreach director for your church to motivate your, um, motivate the people out of a place of fear? For that, Because I'm from Detroit, and so anytime I mention, like, hey, let's go door-to-door, I'm like, no, door-to-door. Mm-hmm. So, like, um, to get that fear uh, off of people, to motivate their hearts to want to do more. So we probably all three have a short answer. My short answer is, is if you email or text him, we're going to send you a monthly video that's easy that talks about that. And I would say one easy way is to get your fellowship in Detroit, start praying for people in Amman. And they can overcome fear by speaking faith into a faraway place and getting feedback and then that'll help them face what's right next door. But I think facing that difficulty, especially in, in Detroit, it's not an easy place, and there's a lot of things happening in Michigan that a lot of people don't know about. So uh, fears are real, but I would say speak something out in a distant way and then have them experience the power of God's working in that. I would go back to that outreach continuum. So... So let's say it's it's going door to door, knocking on doors, preaching the gospel, cold call. So maybe week one, you you're you got a team that's praying, and then week two, you say, okay, now it's your turn to drive the car. Week three, now it's your turn to be the guy that walks and stands on the curb. Week four, now you're the guy that comes to the door and you just stand there. Week five, now you're the one. So you give them that continuum of you gradually increase the risk and the and lower the grace. Not just, okay, let's go door to door. You've never done it before. That sort of thing. So you, you gradually increase their, their courage and their, their self-belief that they can do it. Sam? Yes, another question? When we're done. Okay. Yep. The only other thing I would say is just real quick, we grow orchards, not gardens. We look for long-term fruit that multiplies. We don't short-term season garden. We do not engage conversation with apologetics or with theology. We come in with power encounters, we find felt needs, and we believe God for miracles. And we have seen when we remove the barrier of theological opposition and we go to heart and felt needs and lostness and forgiveness, the doors open. We don't cold call and go door to door to anybody ever. It's all through a relational line of what we're doing. Okay, it is uh, four o'clock. I've got a little bit of propaganda. If you want uh, some, there's a couple things for that. Here's the book. As uh, If you're interested and you want to follow up, there's a phone number right there and email. And if you want the offers here, take a picture. If you're a decision maker, text us of the UUPG so that we can be generous to you. God bless you guys.